You can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who was your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? And that was an excerpt from Vinnie Paz singing Writings on Disobedience and Democracy. Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral. This is a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism taking a look at society, media, and politics. You can follow You Can't Be Neutral on Twitter at YCB Neutral. You can also send me a message. You can uh, go to um, youcan'tbeneutral.com. Find a link there to send me a message. You'll also find some links there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. Also at YouCan'tBeNeutral.com, you will find all the back episodes of the You Can't Be Neutral podcast. This episode, we're going to dive into a text from 1963 about reparations. First up is a little article about that text, then we'll read through that text. This is written by Kimberly Henderson, published at nypl.org. If you aren't already familiar with the civil rights leadership of oddly Queen Mother Moore, the Schomburg Center's recently digitized pamphlet entitled Why Reparations? could stand to represent the core of her lifelong efforts to seek reparative justice for the descendants of people enslaved in America and those of the African diaspora. As historian Ashley D. Farmer puts it, quote, Indeed, if Rosa Parks was the mother of the civil rights movement, then oddly more midwifed modern black nationalism. She adopted an expansive vision of radical black liberation, that set her apart from her civil rights counterparts and linked her struggle with that of other radicals around the world. The pamphlet itself, published in 1963, is a battle cry for the economic and social freedom of more than 25 million descendants of American slaves. At the time, its publishing coincided with the centennial anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, making it an opportune reflection on the impact of enslavement. Actionizing this cause, Moore organized the Reparations Committee for the United States Slaves Descendants, Inc., which consisted of five members seeking, quote, relief in money damages for the victims of these injustices with which to begin a program of rehabilitation. The text introduces the case for reparations by providing historical context and the lineage of damages rooted in American slavery. Moore notes the importance of acknowledging and rectifying the compounded injuries faced by descendants of enslaved people in America. It includes an alphabetized list of racial grievances and atrocities, the generational byproducts of slavery. The text goes on to detail the claim for reparations filed in the state of California by the committee on December 20, 1962, listing several causes of action for the filing the first of which is a lawsuit on behalf of, quote, approximately 25 million Americans of African descent whose antecedents and ancestors before them until 1863 
were held in cruel and inhuman slavery. The second, quote, cause of action calls attention to the unjust enrichment of and to said owners referring to enslavers and the generational benefits of the free and forced labor of other human beings who are considered their property. Lastly, the third cause of action attends to the fact that slaves and their descendants have contributed to the wealth of the United States and at the same time remained impoverished economically, weakened culturally, and demeaning socially. While Moore's civil rights leadership is largely omitted from the canon of historical icons, we're still able to gain insight into what inspired her life's work by way of the groundbreaking Black Women Oral History Project, conducted during the late 1970s and early 1980s. The project was spearheaded by Dr. Letitia Woods Brown via Harvard University's Schlesinger Library on the History of Women in America. Here at the Schomburg, we hold the complete set of transcripts in our Manuscripts, Archives, and Rare Books division. It is an invaluable recollection of her childhood and early years in community organizing around civil rights, as told in her own words. Today's society undeniably reflects the historical consequences Queen Mother Moore stressed in this pamphlet, and her justifications for reparations are just as poignantly relevant as they were in 1963. Quote, Without preferential treatment, the Negro will never be on equal terms with white America. The white American has a 344-year start on the descendants of American slaves. They must therefore have special or preferential treatment to catch up. And here is the text of the pamphlet. Why Reparations? Reparations is the battle cry for the economic and social freedom of more than 25 million descendants of American slaves by Mrs. Audley M. Moore, president and founder of the Reparations Committee for the Descendants of American Slaves. Forward. This work is dedicated to the Herald Dispatch newspaper and the Reparations Committee Incorporated for their unselfish, uncompromising determination to contribute toward a peaceful solution of the reparations problem, which will undoubtedly become a social battle cry in the immediate future, the likes of which this country has never heard before. Audley M. Moore Why Reparations? After 244 years of free slave labor and the most inhuman, sinister, and barbaric atrocities which pass in magnitude any savagery perpetrated against human beings in the history of the planet Earth, and an additional 100 years of so-called freedom accompanied by terror, the Committee Seeking Reparations for the Descendants of American Slaves concludes that the payment of reparations is an absolute necessity if the government of the United States is ever to wipe the slate clean, redeem herself, and pay for the damages she has inflicted upon more than 25 million American citizens who are members of the black race. The payment of reparations is the only position America can take in the interest of justice and make an effort to restore the dignity to 13.1% of her citizenry. Therefore, we, the Committee for the Securing of Reparations for the Descendants of Men and Women 
brought from the continent of Africa and enslaved in the United States of America for more than 244 years and are now commonly referred to as Negroes, do now make formal requests of the government of the United States for fair and just compensation for the loss of the property rights in the labor of our foreparents, for which no payment of any kind has ever been made. The loss of so great a value in labor and skills by which means citizens of this nation, who as a class call themselves slave owners, over a period of 244 years, became unjustly enriched, thereby making possible the development of so many of the vast and numerous fortunes, which even today accounts for a very considerable portion of this nation's wealth, is now due and payable to us as the victims of this loss. Whereas the original drafters of the Constitution of this nation recognized the property rights in man's labor, they recognized members of the black race only as chattels or animals. Consequently, black people were never thought of as attaining the status of men and women, and thus no consideration had to be given to their labor and skills, nor any rights extended whatsoever to them, either legal or human. The signing of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 belatedly bestowed the legal rights of ex-slaves and provided that they be, quote, classified as human beings, men and women. The proclamation also made it unlawful to continue to force ex-slaves to contribute their labor and skills without, quote, fair compensation. The Supreme Court of the United States has now established that members of the black race in America, no matter how they came, nor the circumstances of their existence, are now and retroactively have been human beings. And as human beings, these men and women, members of the black race, are logically and legally entitled to all of the rights and benefits accorded to the Caucasian men and women, including the right of inheritance and property rights which are also retroactive. Many years ago, the courts of the United States ruled that a man or woman has a property right in labor and skills, and that such right is subject to the laws governing inheritance. Hence, under the inheritance law, members of the black race, as human beings and citizens, despite national customs and practices, are governed and protected. The fact that no consideration was ever accorded to members of the black race, who as a class were called slaves, and whose descendants as a class are now called Negroes, has compounded the original injury to those now called Negroes. This injury ranges all the way from chronic and extensive poverty, causing suffering and emotional distress resulting from a. lynching, b. Jim Crow, segregation, c. disfranchisement, d. raping, e. denial right to vote in southern states, f. police brutality, g. use of dogs and water hose, h. use of cattle probes, electric, i. Use of horses and billy clubs. 
and widespread contempt and disdain which we receive from our fellow citizens, not relegated to such class, to mental mayhem, which conditions inevitably culminate into genocide, unless stopped. We, in the name of humanity created by God to seek a full life while in this earthly domain, for the cause of justice for which mankind craves, for the sake of dignity which all men strive, we, the people of African origin enclosed within the boundaries of the United States of America, do declare that we do not now nor have we ever had equal protection under the laws of this country, which by customs are not enforced when we are involved. We have, since 1863, been victims of mob violence, lynching, and systemized atrocities to a far greater extent than any other citizens or residents of this country. We charge that our language, culture, and heritage were methodically and deliberately destroyed. Our names and geographical identity were systematically obliterated. We are denied the legal right to shelter by discrimination, custom, segregation, and subtle de facto segregation. The Reparations Committee is seeking relief in money damages for the victims of these injustices with which to begin a program of rehabilitation. It is further the desire of the committee that every well-meaning and patriotic American, whatever his position in life, do his utmost by words as well as deed to help this long overdue and just effort to erase the blot and stigma from the unfortunate past of America's history by public and official expiration for the wrongs heaped in multiplicity upon a large mass of American citizens who have contributed so richly to America's culture, welfare, and safety. The Reparations Committee for United States Slaves Descendants, Incorporated, S. Alexander, Chairman of Board of Directors, Audley A. Moore, President and Founder, Charles H. Davis, National Chairman, Berta Forrest, National Recording Secretary. Stacy Adams, State Chairman, California. The contents of this booklet are addressed not only to our people in particular who are victims of oppression, but also to the white people of the United States who need this great opportunity to cleanse themselves of wrongs done to our people by their cruel ancestors. By way of preface, there is little to say since the character of this work is embodied in this booklet, which is the fruit of untiring effort, research and investigation into the phenomenon of our special oppression, which causes stem from the antisocial nature of the slave system in this country, with its reprehensible acts of barbarism, which violated all natural laws of human aspirations and justice. The atrocious deeds done to our ancestors by the legion of white friends rise before us in new and irrestible horror. It is intended to meet the need of bringing to the people of this country a great principle of restitution by those of us who desire to raise our people from the degradation of nat national poverty resulting from the effects of chattel slavery, which have left us without national resources. The fact that reparations has not yet been included along with the integrationist leaders' demands is because they underestimated the depth and the bitterness of our suffering and the intelligence of our people 
in spite of our indomitable will to die for our rights like men and women on our feet rather than live on our knees. This was demonstrated by our unquenchable revolutionary fervor at the United Nations when the Honorable Patrice Lumumba of the Congo, Africa, was murdered, and on the picket lines and demonstrations throughout this country, where our people in their massive efforts to become citizens endured the foul onslaught of tear gas, fire hoses, and police dogs, police brutality and arrest to secure those rights denied us by the oppressive villains. Without reparations, our people can never be on equal terms with the white sons of our former slave masters, who continue to reap the abundant benefits of the wealth created by our foreparents through their centuries of unrequited labor. The unpaid labor of African slaves laid the foundation for the accumulation of wealth that ultimately made the USA the richest country in the world. During the period of slavery, millions of our people died while being transported under conditions of indescribable horror while crossing the, quote, Middle Passage. Our roots and culture were ruthlessly destroyed. We were deprived of human status with families broken and fragmented and family ties eliminated. Our women raped and abused, our men placed in chains, bred like animals, our children were taken from us and given over to owners and slave masters to be sold on the auction block. Today our youth are taught false history, theories and principles to prevent race pride. The Reparations Committee will present the evidence of the lawless vendors in human flesh in all its sickening and horrible details. Through the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, we were ostensibly granted freedom and full citizenship, with the ensuing amendments to the Constitution. But these were then, and continue to be, withheld from us. Therefore, our suit demanding payment of a debt long overdue is justified, although no amount of reparations could adequately repay us for the cruelty we suffered. Still, there must be a recognition of the crimes committed against us and a just settlement before the issue can be considered closed. The two major political parties of our oppressors, Democrats and Republicans, have consistently tried to keep this issue of slavery and reparations hidden. But suppressing it has caused one of the greatest socioeconomic problems of this age. This issue is clear. No civilized human society would contest, and no democratic state would neglect, or in this case, shun its responsibility to adequately recompense those from whom such sacrifices were extracted. Besides our unrequited labor, we have given genius to America, the genius of Benjamin Banneker, Harriet Tubman, Crispus Attucks, Dory Miller, African Americans have given their very lives to preserve the American dream, which they have not shared. The 100th year since the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, which was to free our people from chattel slavery, finds us suffering economic and political oppression in the USA. Therefore, the question of the continued subjugation of an entire people landless and disenfranchised, deprived of equal status with the rest of the general populace, deprived of recognition of our contribution to the culture and enrichment of the economy, remains. Therefore, considering our present intolerable status here, the future, if there is to be one, rests on the solution presented, 
the demand for reparation must become the first goal of every African American. History substantiates the justness of our claim. However, of all the people who have received reparations for wrongs committed against them, none of their claims are historically morally compelling as the demand for reparations for the descendants of American slaves. In view of the foregoing, we, the descendants of those Africans, uprooted from our homeland and transported to this alien land, and here forcibly made to labor without pay for centuries, through the sponsorship of the USA, to hereby set forth the following claims and demands as embodied herein. Claim for Reparations Filed In commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, which became effective January 1, 1863, the Reparations Committee for United States Slaves Descendants, Inc., a nonprofit corporation organized and existing under and by virtue of the laws of the state of California, filed a claim for reparations and money damages with the United States government on December 20, 1962, for more than 25 million American citizens, members of the black race. The first cause of action as filed sets forth and proceeds and sues on behalf of and for the benefit of a class consisting of approximately 25 million Americans of African descent, whose antecedents and ancestors before them until 1863 were held in cruel and inhuman slavery. The claimants asked for reparations in the form of money damages for the loss of their ancestors' fair share of property, which accrued by reason of their skills and labors, to the use and benefit of those persons, citizens of the United States of America, who as a class called themselves slave owners, and who did, with the sanction, approval, and protection of the United States government, become unjustly enriched by the use of such forced human labor. The second cause of action calls attention to the unjust enrichment of and to said owners by such wrongful claims of ownership of human beings as properties, and by the wrongful use of such forced human labor, which continued for a period of more than 200 years, until 1863, by wrongful taking of the labors and skills of the antecedents of those of the class for whose benefit complaint sues herein and by such wrongful taking without their consent. The third cause of action calls attention to the fact that the United States of America and all free nations and societies, whereby individuals enjoy property ownership and its attendant benefits, such as inheritance and descent, the descendants of American slaves were denied this right. The brilliantly prepared claim calls attention to the fact that slaves and their descendants have contributed to the wealth of the United States and at the same time remained impoverished economically, weakened culturally, and demeaning socially. Referring to the fact that the United States is a signatory to the International Organization of the United Nations, which charter and conventions prohibit cruel and oppressive treatment of any racial or ethnic group, the claim sets forth that various states within the domain and under the central power control of the United States government since the Emancipation Proclamation have violated and continue to violate the express provisions of the federal constitution and supreme laws of the land, including the Charter of the United Nations, 
which is otherwise known and recognized as the crime of genocide. Under the provisions of the aforementioned Constitution of the United States of America, the claim states as explicitly enunciated by the Supreme Court of the United States of America in its now legendary school desegregation decision and in subsequent decisions, unqualified recognition is accorded to the constitutional guarantees and limitations concerning human rights. Article 11 offers precedence, states, quote, Strong and compelling as may be the merits of this claim for reparations on its face alone, it is not without apt precedence in the field of law of nations. Particularly references here are made to the payment of reparations by West Germany and under a treaty signed in 1952 to the new nation of Israel and quite significantly to a separate private body known as the Con Conference of Jewish Organizations on behalf of Jews. Details will be developed subsequently in legal proceedings. Other and similar precedents on reparations payments by the United States governments are as follows. 1. The definition of reparations. a. Amends or compensation for the loss or damage. b. The action of repairing or keeping in repaired state. Webster's Dictionary. 2. The precedent. Germany paid reparations to the Allies under Versailles Treaty of War I. Germany was considered the aggressor nation. Finland paid reparations to Russia, concluding last payment on September 18, 1944. United States paid and continues to pay reparations to American Indians for denial of citizenship rights and loss of personal property. And at the end of almost five centuries, the United States is still negotiating with American Indians for the payment for the recent seizure of property to the tone of $29 million. United States paid reparations to the Philippines in September 1962 for damages to that country and use of that nation during World War I. United States paid reparations to Japanese Americans for denial of rights, seizure of property, and confinement in concentration camps during World War II. Reparations were paid to individual Nisei and was tax-free. Germany, under a treaty signed 1952, paid reparations to the Jews and to Israel. Relative to members of the black race who boost of one white parent and wish to identify themselves with that parent rather than identify themselves with the black race. The committee follows the custom established by the United States government and rules, quote, an individual with one drop of Negro blood in his or her veins is considered a Negro. However, the committee declares that those individuals who do not wish to share in the just and fair reparations are not obligated to do so. They are, however, obligated not to join the enemies of the American citizens of African descent to campaign against the payment of reparations. The committee views seriously the fact that the United States government gives extracted from all citizens, including American citizens of African descent, without our consent, billions of dollars to India to fight China, spends more than $1 million daily in Laos, millions to South Vietnam, 
Under our present law, the Internal Revenue Service each year makes a large cash contribution to Israel's welfare, despite the fact that Israel is a sovereign state. Furthermore, more than $200 million was spent to rescue the, quote, pigs from Cuba, captured during the ill-fated mission of aggression on a sovereign nation by refugees stationed in this country. Also, Americans of African descent are asked to pay taxes equally with others to provide foreign aid to communist Poland, communist Hungary, and Yugoslavia, and England, France, Canada, and other countries whose citizens, if they wish, may become first-class citizens of this nation and discriminate against African Americans, who are treated as step-citizens. In view of the foregoing, it is the studied opinion of the Reparations Committee that there can be no argument against the just claim for reparations for the American citizens of African descent. The reparation payment will be used to rehabilitate and alleviate the national poverty which the American citizens of African descent suffer as a result of chattel slavery. Preferential treatment, yes. The Reparations Committee takes the position that the descendants of American slaves must be given preferential treatment now with immediate hiring on a quota basis in every level of our industry, implemented with an intensified on-the-job training program. The program must be instituted and financed by the federal government now. It is the contention of the Reparations Committee that the descendants of American slaves are entitled to 13.1% of all jobs in America. The job quota, therefore, is the first step towards repairing the damages inflicted upon the slaves and their descendants, commonly known as Negroes. Preferential treatment and hiring on a job quota basis will further serve to balance the maltreatment of which the Negro has been a victim in this country for over 344 years. The Negro Revolution of 1963, with its anti-climax, March to Washington on August 28, resulted in little or no gains for the Negro masses. The Negro leaders' demands are limited. Integration and freedom now. The Reparations Committee argues that these are empty slogans and that integration is possible only among equals. It is the studied opinion of the Reparations Committee that the Negro masses are unable to compete with the white masses at present because they have been deprived of equal status, denied equal education, economical and political opportunities, and for a century have lived on the outskirts of American society. Thus, the preferential treatment will raise the Negro to the academic, economic, and cultural level of the white citizen. Or, the government could, which would not be practicable, disenfranchise white citizens, deprive them of their citizenship rights, deprive them of education, or generally reduce them to the level of the Negro masses to equalize our citizenship. The Reparations Committee believes this is not sound, that the Negro should be, via the preferential treatment, on-the-job training program, raised to the level of the white citizen, equalizing our citizenship, preparing for an integrated society. Unless steps are taken in this direction immediately, America cannot be classified as a civilized nation. To those, including John F. Kennedy, President of the United States, who say they are opposed to preferential treatment and hiring of the Negro on a quota basis,
obviously wish to maintain the Negro on a status quo. Those who oppose quota hiring on one hand and say they support the civil rights fight on the other are double-talking and actually wish to subvert the revolution and deny the payments for damages inflicted by the United States government upon the descendants of American slaves. The power structure, by refusing to agree to hire Negroes on a quota basis, are refusing to admit their responsibility for the plight of the Negroes. Without preferential treatment, the Negro will never be on equal terms with white America. The white American has a 344-year start on the descendants of American slaves. They must, therefore, have special or preferential treatment to catch up. History substantiates the African Americans' claim for cash payment of reparations from the United States. Thus, the Reparations Committee calls upon African American leadership to make the demand for cash payments of reparations, quote, the battle cry for freedom in 1963, which would include 25 million step citizens in the American dream. And once again, that was Why Reparations, a pamphlet printed by Mrs. Audley M. Moore and the Reparations Committee for the Descendants of American Slaves. Again, that was printed in 1963. We are now 60 years beyond the publishing of that work. We are 160 years beyond the Emancipation Proclamation. And there's still no reparations. And reparations are still, I, I feel, the most significant factor that will accelerate equality between black and white communities in the United States. It is long, long overdue. Um, the oppression of a, a racial group for centuries can't be overcome by, you know, passing laws that say you're equal now. Um, not without great efforts to uplift and compensate for all of the obstacles that have been put in place in the past to a group's success. That'll wrap up this episode of You Can't Be Neutral. Remember, you can check out the back episodes at youcan'tbeneutral.com. You can follow on Twitter at YCBneutral. And you can listen to this podcast and all my podcasts playing 24-7 at movingtrainradio.com. And now, a moment of zen. Thanks for listening. When I talk about thinking outside the boundaries... I'm thinking that one of the boundaries set for us uh, is the idea of national power, of our national power, and of our national uh, goodness, that we are the superpower in the world, and we deserve to be the superpower because we're the best and the greatest, and we have the most democracy and the most freedom, and that's why terrible things are done to us, uh, because we are the best that's 
kind of arrogant. <laughs> and that also is a sign of the loss of history. And we need to be taken down a peg and taken down to the level of other nations in the world and other peoples of the world. We're, and you need, you, need, you need some history to be able to come down to earth and to see that the United States has behaved in the world like other imperial nations in the world. It's not surprising. We have to be honest about our country. If we're going to be anything, if there's anything an artist should be, if it's anything a citizen should be, is to be honest, to be able to look at yourself, to look at your country as honestly and as clearly as you look at what people do elsewhere. And just as you can examine the terrible things that people do elsewhere, you have to be willing to examine the terrible things that were done here and done by our government. Langston Hughes, and some of you may know his work, great African-American poet, Langston Hughes, wrote a poem called Columbia. Columbia meant for him this country, the United States. No, as Columbia has, you know, Columbus, Columbia, and that's us. He was addressing Columbia. He said, my dear girl, you really haven't been a virgin so long. It's ludicrous to keep up the pretext. You're terribly involved in world assignations and everybody knows it. You've slept with all the big powers in military uniforms and you've taken the sweet life of all the little brown fellows in loincloths and cotton trousers. When they've resisted, you've yelled rape. Being one of the world's big vampires, why don't you come on out and say so, like Japan and England and France and all the other nymphomaniacs of power? <laughs>